Welcome to Parkbench, Theater Simple's mobile interview outpost, where we invite people to have a seat and have a chat. This is the second installment of our four-episode collaboration with the Network of Ensemble Theaters, focusing on Past Forward, the June 2017 Net National Gathering and Symposium. Park Bench is a change of perspective that looks a little like a rolling hill and arrives into an urban environment, a mall, a parking space, or a national gathering, and asks passers-by to share their thoughts while sitting and observing their present situation. Founded in the mid-1990s by a small group of ensemble theaters, NET has grown into a vibrant national community of over 350 members, including Theater Simple. The 2017 National Gathering brought together NET members, artists, educators, activists, funders, policymakers, and others with an interest in collaborative creation across disciplines. They gathered for four days just after midsummer on the beautiful campus of the University of Washington. And Park Bench was there, talking with participants about the importance of art and ensemble theater practice and the gathering itself. We generated so much great sound that we have spread it over four half-hour podcasts. Many thanks to everyone who stopped to chat with Simpleton's Andrew Litsky, that's me, and Lisa Holland. Please forgive the noise as we are outside on a busy college campus that seems to be cheerily under constant construction. And now we present part two of Past Forward, the 2017 Net National Gathering and Symposium. My name is Helen Stoltzfus, and I'm co-artistic director of an organization that I co-founded about 12 years ago called Black Swan Arts and Media, and we're based in Oakland. Uh, we create and produce original performance work. I was one of the founding uh, members, companies that founded NET 25 or 30 years ago. Um, and at that time, I was with the Traveling Jewish Theater. And then that company, you know, came to an end, and I moved on. And for a long time, I wasn't connected with Net. And then recently, I, I think part of it is, you know, I'm as an artist, I'm very hermetic. I, I, I sort of thrive on being a hermit, and and at the same time, I, th I thrive on connections that I make with people. I sort of move between these two complete opposites in a way, I feel like. Um, and reconnecting with Net last year, um, you know, just, just reminded me that I, how important it is to, to revive and restore and sort of uh, remake those relationships. Having created this work, you know, a couple of pieces that we've created, it's like getting that work out. And, and wanting to find ways to do that and and find those commonalities with other people who care about the same um, issues or the same aesthetic or the same approach to theater that I do and sort of, you know, getting this, the <laughs> nurturing and strength from that. I know we're, you're here in your current iteration mm -hmm. uh, with your current company. One of the themes of this conference is, is lineage, which is kind of looking back as we're looking forward. Mm -hmm. Do you mind talking about no. the Traveling Jewish Theater? Oh, no. Uh -uh. What were some of the early influences, if you will, or things that kind of catalyzed you into 
creating an ensemble theater. Okay, so <laughs> I should say I was not a founding member. I joined them after they had been in existence for about 10 years, I'm going to say, and they existed for about 32. So the impetus for, for I'll say them, for beginning before I joined them, um, as my now co-artistic partner says, who was also a member of Traveling Jewish Theater and a founder, at that time, everybody was doing, you know, there was Latino theater, there was queer theater, there was black theater. Everybody was doing theater from their own roots. And um, Albert and Corey and Naomi kind of looked at each other and was like, okay, uh, we're Jewish. Um, I'm actually not Jewish, so I joined them 10 years later. So, so, so that was the sort of impetus for them was kind of rediscovering their own roots. And for Albert, it was very exotic because he didn't grow up really particularly religious. It was sort of a, you know, a street kid on the south side of Chicago who had kind of bad Jewish upbringing, you know, it was like one of those. Uh, no connection to, you know, Yiddish poetry, to all the sort of ecstatic tradition of Judaism. Um, so they really delved into all, to the, the, the world of, of Jewish ideas and experience that nobody else was doing, um, including mystic, mystical paths, including mm-hmm. political issues like the Middle East that nobody else was dealing with. Had you worked um, ensemble style before? Was that something that you were more steeped in, or was it something that you kind of learned in that milieu? You know, I think I, I had... But when I saw them, I, I, I realized, you know, it was like love at first sight, literally like, yes, this is the kind of theater I want to do. I, it was so clear to me I was not interested in the individual model of, you know, be a star, be a, you know, it's your career, you go from one job to another. It was just absolutely not what I wanted to do. So it, it, was, it was really that um, connection of seeing, seeing the work, which was... Um, deeply personal but also grounded in uh, you know the, the tradition also came out of you know the open theater and that mm-hmm. whole era of sort of ex- what was called experimental theater what I see in ensemble theater a good ensemble theater I should say not all ensemble theater is good uh, but when it's good you get this texturing you get this layering because they've been working on it for so long and they have worked with each other over a long period of time and the kind of richness and density and texture of that is so unlike, you know, the show that goes up in three weeks. Network of ensemble theaters, those, those words. Um, is there an important, more important part of that? It is the word ensemble. I think it, it, it's grounded in a much deeper understanding of um, the individual versus the community. I mean... We are valuing the work of a collective group of people over just an individual. And that's not just a political statement, although it is. It's, it's an aesthetic statement. It's a, it's a whole way of working, but it's a... Um, there's a I hate to keep using the same words, but there is a richness there that I see. Um, and that... Uh, yeah, it's like this... It's rare. It's like something I want to save. I want to preserve like a like an endangered bird or an endangered species how, how has your experience been up here at the Great. high elevation here no vertigo no it's good i mean i i i, I realize <laughs> i need to press you know sort of process all this stuff that's so, been part of, of my life over the last 30 years 
Hi, my name is Jake Hooker. I'm cur I currently live in Detroit, Michigan, and uh, I, w I am one of the two co-directors of an ensemble called A Host of People. 2010, we really formalized, and then 2012, we moved to Detroit. We were in New York City, so we were broke beyond all repair and uh, just weren't able to make work very, um, either either a lot of work or deep work, you know, <laughs> work over time. When we moved to Detroit, then the conversation switched because it was like we almost had to combine artistic efforts together because otherwise we'd be in direct competition. You know, Detroit's given us the ability to make our personal money go farther so that we can make our work uh, deeper and more of it. You know, Ned has really helped me identify what the practice of ensemble might be. But when I look back at my college experience, it was it was always the people that were ensemble focused, the teachers, the faculty that was on, were ensemble focused in a relatively traditional theater program setting that I, you know, sort of really um, glommed onto. And it's much just much more enjoyable. It's just much more freeing. It's much more interesting. It doesn't mean that I have to have every single idea. I think that's the big thing. Network of ensemble theaters. What what do those words mean for you? Is there one that's more important than the other? Yeah, or? I think the network part is really important to me. Like, especially now being in Detroit, you know, there's one other company, a net member that that's in Detroit, and we obviously have a good relationship and we work together and, and think through things together, but being connected to other people all over the country. And also, I have to say, moving out of New York, the one the probably greatest thing about moving out of New York and at the same time getting deeper in my relationship with NET was realizing how many incredible artists there are working everywhere else. You know, I, I, had, I, I moved to New York right after I graduated college, so I was really steeped in specifically the downtown New York theater scene, mm -hmm. and which is great. There's a lot of great people working there as well, but you don't know about all of these other artists. You just don't know how many amazing things are happening in New Orleans or Cleveland or Pittsburgh. That has been probably the most gratifying thing because I would rather now go to New Orleans to see work than go to New York and see work, frankly, because actually I'm, I'm more connected to the work that's being done outside of New York, outside of these kind of like gatekeeper cultures. I am Diane Boz. Uh... I'm here both as a member of Good Company Theatre and as a, an educator at the University of New Orleans in New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, I'm a lighting designer. I got my master's degree from the University of Washington School of Drama. I finished in 08 and I moved back to, back to New Orleans uh, in 2009. And I actually came to school as a Katrina evacuee. I was a refugee at UW. Tell me about your company. Where, where are you guys based? Are you in New Orleans? We are in New Orleans. Uh, it's a fairly new company, and we are um, strong female-focused in terms of uh, playwrights, directors, designers, subject, um, in the things that we present. Another part of my lineage is I. my stepfather is Jerry Stropnicki, uh, who is a co-founding member of the Bloomsburg Theatre Ensemble. And I started running Follow Spot and working in the scene shop when I was 11. That family of people who are the ensemble, um, who are still... I was at T. 
TCG two weeks ago and being introduced as this is Diane. She grew up in our theater and now she's a lighting designer. And blah, blah, blah. So uh, I think the, the, that mentorship that I got from a very early age uh, from every, everyone in the group also kind of solidified my idealism about <laughs> that this structure um, what's important to you about ensemble theater you talked about you know having a place at the table and, and yeah. a place in rehearsal is it as simple as like the it's more than the sum of its parts I mean I, I, I always feel like you have to hear everyone and then have the conversation. As a designer, I think it's important for me to also sort of always feel like I have a, a place at the table, a respected place at the table. Sam Kelly, I'm a playwright. I'm actually at the State University of New York at Cortland, um, and I teach communication studies. I've developed courses in uh, African Americans in film. I also teach the films of Spike Lee, but I'm sort of phasing into retirement <laughs> to write full time as a playwright. Um, probably, I published four of my plays on the last sabbatical, but uh, the one that sort of launched my recognition was Pill Hill. Uh, that's been performed all over the country. And mm -hmm. I spent last year actually in France uh, researching the Harlem Hellfighters uh, divisions, the this 90s. Is World War I or World yeah, War II? Yeah, World War I. And so the French were allowed to uh, take on the black soldiers from the 93rd Division. And the most famous and most decorated division became the Harlem Hellfighters because they weren't allowed to fight with Americans because the American army was segregated. And so uh, uh, the Harlem Hellfighters established the most prestigious reputation abroad. Uh, and I'm also developing the Harlem Hellfighters piece. I hope to complete that. And I also developed a proposal to write one on women's suffrages as it affected black women. Uh, one of the most inspiring stories is Mary McLeod Bethune, who really confronted and violated the rules by registering and taking blacks to the polls to vote in the early 20s in order to um, get a black high school in Daytona Beach. And that's the inspiration for a play that I want to have developed in time for the Women's Rights Amendment. So <laughs> I have you, a full plan. you got a lot of things in the hopper. <laughs> yeah. what, uh, what brings you here? What brings to uh, I, I actually joined the, the, the conference um, several years ago, yeah. but I really like the theme Process. The theme of the conference, or do you have a particular well, relationship to uh, ensemble uh, type of work? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I worked for 27 years with the Paul Robeson Company of Syracuse, uh, New York, um, and uh, that's an African-American theater company out, out of Syracuse. It's been there. I've also served on the board, and they've produced a number of my plays mm -hmm. uh, in the process. And so also coming out of the Yale University program, we were very much involved in the development process. You know, there's a myth that a play is born and just goes straight at the production. It's usually, as you know, a pretty long and arduous process. Mm -hmm. Even A Raisin in the Sun, uh, they worked on that for a full year. And it was good to be at Yale under Lord Richardson. Also, um, 
Athos Fulgart was coming through August Wilson. It was a very exciting time to be it there. It sounds like it. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of when I... <laughs> and to have my own play get its world premiere at the uh, Repertory Theatre for Winterfest was exciting. When was the, uh, the production? That was that 1990, Yale? actually. Is there kind of a galvanizing experience, whether it's an experience with uh, art, that kind of turned the trajectory of your life? I grew up on a farm in uh, in Turkish Scratch, Arkansas, as you might say. Mm. But my second grade, with no contact with theater or television or anything like that, we didn't have one, I started acting when I was second grade. Another point took place when I first heard James Weldon Johnson's The Creation. And I had never heard anything like that before. This was a black beauty pageant from the county in my segregated school system. And then the following year, in the eighth grade, my church asked if I would perform the creation. And that was the moment when I really began uh, appreciating theater at that light and realizing that you can make theater anywhere, any place, any time. So my name is Jessica Massart. Um, I work with Kickstarter as the performance lead. So I handle the dance and theater categories, working with artists and organizations. I was here officially to do a panel, but then to also meet the great people of the NET network. This is my first time really getting to interact with NET in person. I've been a member of their Facebook group uh, for a while now. When I was working with the Builders Association, it was an invaluable resource. The earliest, earliest, earliest moment would be like grade school, music class, saw a clip from Phantom of the Opera. It's like, whoa, okay, what's that? But the real crystallizing moment was when I started it on the boards. I was a baby intern when this choreographer from New York, Sarah Mitchelson, came in. And she didn't use any of the seats in the theater. She built stadium seating on the stage and turned the stage into just a little closet panel and had the audience just in there, but then put performers everywhere. And everybody was supposed to just sense that they were around. And as an intern with the staff, I was sitting in the back and I saw all of this performance unfold. And I also saw the audience break the rules and get up and explore and take in things and look at everything like it was new. And it completely blew my mind. I didn't know dance could be that way. I didn't know a theater could be used that way, that audiences had license. And 12 years later, that's kind of kept me going. That constant discovery and curiosity of what can happen when you put people together in a live space and give them an idea and experience, something to encounter. The, the, the term network of ensemble theaters, mm -hmm. what is that? This network, bringing everybody together. I don't know, there's that instant sense of like we all belong, we all recognize each other, which is really powerful to have that. Um, and then the ability to share resources together. Incredible. I mean, the first two words that come to mind are warmth and curiosity. Um, maybe an openness in there as well. Like Everybody, like I said before, is here. And like, it's like, oh, okay, where are you from? It doesn't matter what company you're with. Like, oh, okay, you're in that part of the U.S.? Like, eh, yeah, like, it's like you're seeing a cousin that it's just been a really long time. I think, I mean, it all kind of ties together nicely in that the future is as we look ahead to what's happening, unfortunately, with the NEA as foundations seem to dwindle one by one. Um, we're having to turn back to our community 
for support. And at the very core is this, the people here, the people who are gathered. And sometimes that will mean the actual $20 that you share. Sometimes that means the resources of, okay, I know how to connect you with these people that are in this community related to your performance that gets you a little bit further. Hmm. I think we're here to support one another that way. Um, So very specifically, I think that kind of funding is something that is becoming ever more important, especially within the U.S. um, in the future. Who are you and how'd you get here? My name is Scott Mogelson, and I work here. I'm an associate professor of theater history and performance studies here at UW. Working with uh, a university, with an institution, gives you the opportunity for long-term projects. For instance, uh, in my first job in Illinois, uh, I did a radio play, which is a collaboration between the communications program and history program. This was in Rock Island, Illinois, and this was part of the Quad Cities, which used to be a big metal-bending town. They made tractors, farm implements, and in the 1980s, there was a a big deindustrialization crisis. A lot of the factories closed down, Mm -hmm. people lost their jobs, uh, some people didn't make it through, and when I got there in the early 2000s, I looked around and it was clear that the, the place had suffered a real trauma. And nobody was really talking about it. So we went out into the community. We talked to community leaders, former workers, people who had weathered the storm and now were um, working to, to make the Quad Cities a better place. Uh, we, the theater people turned it into a script and acted it. The communications people broadcast it on the radio. And that, that sort of invested, entrenched, long-term project is something that I feel really fortunate to have the opportunity to, to do as someone who works with the university. Looking at something that is very familiar to you, yeah. from a slightly different perspective, what do you notice? Um, I have never seen my building, uh, this is an old women's gymnasium building uh, that's been converted into a theater space, and uh, to see it from this this perspective, it's not just an exterior of a building that come to work, this is a, 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 a staging space for, for an event for a change. What's buzzing around in your head right now with all of the stuff going on with NET and the world and you, and like, what's what's... What's bubbling in your personal stew? Right now what's on my mind is, is, uh, is, is mental health in the uh, artistic community and in the scholarly community, especially uh, among emerging faculty uh, uh, and um, the ways in which the pressures of, of art making, the pressures of academia uh, can sometimes be uh, precarious for people. I want to use uh, theater and also theater scholarship to to make the world a better place uh, after a while uh, of doing these these uh, little history projects that maybe brought a new light to something that had been talked about for a while uh, I got the sense that if I'm gonna if I'm gonna spend time working on an article or a book I really want the stakes to be high I want to write about the things that are actually changing things on the ground not just for the theater community but for the for the rest of the world Maria Gland, and I am here with Umo Ensemble mm-hmm. today. We did viewpoints yes, and composition. Exactly. And then Umo's comes out of a buffoon. Yes, background. Umo's comes out of a buffoon, but also viewpoints. And also viewpoints, right? Elizabeth is really, I mean, Janet and David come from the Lecoque and the mm-hmm. buffoon, and Elizabeth really comes from uh, traditional. Elizabeth and I are much more traditional theater mm-hmm. makers in terms of our studies, but she was a viewpoint. Mm-hmm. 
And um, I'd always just been interested in movement. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, but Viewpoints, well, the first time I did Viewpoints was with you guys. With the Snow Queen, right? Exactly. Which was fabulously fun. I still think about that show. So I have been making ensemble theater for a really long time without ever actually intending to. It you made it without of, us? Yeah, exactly. Totally. I just found my way into it. So I'm an ensemble person, I guess. Oh, it's just so much more interesting, I think, than... Um, then work where it's uh, one particular person's vision. Not that I mean, theater is collaborative. I think no matter what, there's mm-hmm. always a lot of visions involved. But to have a piece that has a multitude of imaginations and voices and uh, points of view, I think is really exciting. This last session was astonishing. It was so beautiful. The people who spoke, Roger Fernandez and. Um, I can't remember the man who spoke last. I'm getting a little bit From tired. Muckle shoot. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just extraordinary. And the um, oh, kind of the callback to the ancestors and mm-hmm. where our stories come our from, elders. our elders. The sense of time being much more circular and fluid and shifty mm-hmm. than linear and straightforward. Well, when you're creating, do you create in a straight line or do you oh, create gosh, in spirals? No. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, to be in a group of people who all make ensemble theater is fabulous and kind of rare in our, you know, there's a group, there are different groups of us even here in Seattle, Uh but we don't always sit down and cross paths and talk Mm -hmm. about process and all of that. So, um, uh, kind of sparks of curiosity at this point. Mm -hmm. Like, what does that mean? How does your work happen? Right. You know, I know how we work in UMO. I know that lots of people contribute writing but I'm the main writer because that's my wheelhouse Mm -hmm. you know or there might be a lion might write but so I'm just curious about kind of the nuts and bolts in some ways Mm -hmm. about how people are making work and I'm super 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 curious and interested about um, some of the younger folks here and some of the more traditionally I guess marginalized god that sounds like such a terrible phrase but people who are Coming into theater uh, from perha- from outside of the perspective I came from, right, which is you know rel- well educated mm-hmm. middle class white lady mm-hmm. of a certain age. You know, I'm really curious about people who are coming from different perspectives, right, and what inspires them to do their work and what kind of work they're making. And right. it was that's really cool. I'm Gabriel Grilli. So I'm the artist director of a company called Bric-a-Brac. We're based in New York City on the Lower East Side. But our mission is to create um, uh, original stories about extraordinary people. Well, I got into NED a couple of years ago. Um, at the time, my parents were still living in Rhode Island, so I was able to go there, steal one of their cars, drive up to Maine. I met some other New York-based artists, which was one of the things I've always wanted to connect more with ensemble theaters that are local. And I find that there isn't the kind of community that I wish there was. Um, there are a few companies that I got to know through that main uh, weekend. You know, I know there are companies in NED who've been doing this for a long time. They may have very different models than us, but I'm still I'm in this to kind of glean what I can and also to share information, share resources, mm-hmm. um, you know, share our methodology. So there's a lot that I'm interested in just in terms of resource sharing and then connecting as feeling like a part of a community. Network, ensemble, theaters... Uh, what are the words there that just resonate the most for you? 
I guess ensemble. I mean, we think about ourselves as an ensemble. I don't know. I'm not sure that any one of those words in net exists independently or <laughs> bears more. Certainly the network of theaters is very different from the network of ensemble theaters, I mm-hmm. think. This idea of ensemble and the idea of, like, how that impacts the way that you build work and the way that you think about um, making theater is just, to me, the process is so completely different. What What led led me to to choose it was all of the work that I was seeing that I found that was truly extraordinary was, not in all cases, but in the majority of cases, developed within the context of some kind of ensemble model. And I had seen the work of, there were three or four artists who I had seen their work. I'd seen, first of all, I'd seen Robert Wilson's work. I'd seen a project that he was doing with Tom Waits. And I had seen um, Stephen Burkhoff's work. And then perhaps the, the, the peak of this whole um, like series of discoveries for me in terms of seeing work that really inspired me and and gave me new ideas about what was possible was Robert Lepage's piece, uh, The Seven Streams of the River Ota. Hmm. You know, it just made me think a lot about what might be possible in theater and what, you know, what kind of stories I might tell. And um, as my thesis, I made a show that was a movement theater opera that was I had written about Albert Camus, and it was, you know very much in, in line or inspired by these artists. But then for a long time I was like just acting and directing doing other plays. Yeah, working. Yeah. yeah, and it took me a while to come back around to deciding, you know what, I think I just need to make the work that I'm really inspired to make and that, that was when I started Brick a Brack. My name is Fenner, and I'm from Oakland, California. How did you end up here? I work with a number of different ensemble theaters. That is the type of work I want to create. It's very collaborative and ensemble-driven, looking to the needs of a, a group rather than an individual seems to be the way that we have to go as a people. Consider the words network of ensemble theaters. I think network. Um, thinking about what does it mean to be a network it it implies there's an infrastructure that there's a a cohesion a a reliance on on all these parts to make something greater uh, a whole, a system and network is makes me think of neurons which is electricity and energy being passed around uh, very applicably are, are the next piece that I'm, I'm working on with Ragged Wing Ensemble in Oakland is very much about extending that idea of ensemble and the ways of collaborative, collaboratively producing art, collaboratively telling stories. Um, we're, our next project is called We Make the Multiverse, and we have four of our internal core performance artists and four external artists that have very little or no experience even in theater. A spoken word artist, an arts educator, a director playwright, and a uh, musician. And so pairing those with the four company members... Um, we are hoping to, to create a theatrical experience that breaks 
existing power structures, breaks modes of oppression that we perpetuate uh, without realizing it. The system, the network, is there, and now we just have to keep injecting it with electricity and, and inspiration and support to get all those neurons firing to like raise the fist, you know? What's buzzing around in your head today? A lot of tech, thinking about utilizing the technology and the, the network of the internets <laughs> and media and, and translating this, this very focused, you know, we're theater, we're about live and, and sharing, like being in the same space. And like, how do you, how do you package that into a world that's kind of, that's really rewarding experiences that you have privately? Thinking back to a different company I was working with, Agile Rascal, a uh, bicycle touring company. Um, as, as a part of that project, I considered myself uh, a leader. And in the course of, of the tour where we biked across the country, I realized the importance of a leader being invisible. I mean, the, the moment was like very dark, very much feeling like the group wasn't cohesive and that my leadership was was not hitting in the correct way. Um, you know, so what did you do? So I listened. I stopped um, believing that I had any answer. And once I released myself from the idea of leadership being the one that points, but being the one that has their hands open... John Flax. Theater Grotesco, we're in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and uh, this is the annual gathering. How many gatherings have you been to? I don't know. A lot of them. Uh, Grotesco was, I think, the eighth member of, of NET, so um, that started in 98. You know, I, I think for me, the uh, with that many years behind me, uh, <clears throat> the best part of it for me are, are the, the people the, the friends I've made here and the colleagues and, um, you know, really close friends, people I've done work with now, and that's special. That's really special. Uh, we started in Paris, and then uh, the original idea was to base there but to always bring our work to the States because we wanted to share that kind of work <clears throat> with American audiences. And then we realized, uh, this was before Internet even, that, that booking tours from Paris to the States was was going to be very difficult, you know. <laughs> so so the, the, the idea of, of, I mean, having the passionate desire to share a certain style of work, or maybe it's more about the content, but what, what was it that was driving force of Well, of no, it, it really was the form. Um, that play that I'd seen them do was the first time that theater seemed live to me. Hmm. Uh, before that, it, 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 it felt like I was in a museum, and, and as much as I enjoy seeing art in museums occasionally, I'll go for um, a, a short period of time and then leave. Uh, and seeing theater like that is it, it never did anything to me at all. And growing up in Minneapolis, I saw the Guthrie every year. The kids got dragged down for school shows. And, but this, this work was live. It was in the moment. And, and on top of it, it was, it was um, so imaginative and, and so emotional. And uh, it was just moving. So 
yeah, that's that's what drew me. What do you feel is the most important thing about the network of ensemble theaters? Well, it gives us a chance to all get together and, and share all the things that we need to share from, from work to administration. Um, personally, I'd love to see more time spent sharing work and seeing work and, and you know critiquing work and getting better at the work we do. I would love to have that kind of relationship with with the artists that are that are here. You know, it, for me, uh, I never was interested enough in theater to just go into straight theater. Never interested me whatsoever. So, uh, the first theater I saw that moved me was an ensemble piece, and it was a Lecoq trained company uh, that I eventually joined and. And then here in the states, or uh, here was in the in, states, yeah. What was, do you remember uh, the name of the uh, yeah, Théâtre de la Jeune Lune, and they were six months in Minneapolis, six months in Paris. So I joined them and spent a couple of years with them, and then went and trained with Lecoq, and then Grotesco grew out of that. And you know, we never considered ever doing any other kind of theater. for listening to Park Bench and part two of Past Forward. Many thanks to the network of ensemble theaters and particularly Alicia Tonzik and Park Cofield, without whom this iteration of Park Bench would not have been possible. Thanks also to the University of Washington School of Drama. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, you can contact Theater Simple at thsimple at gmail.com. And you can learn more about Theater Simple at theatersimple.org. That's T-H-E-A-T-E-R simple.org. Our music is the work of the amazing Chandra Cogburn, and you can find out more about her at chandracogburn.com. That's C-H-A-N-D-R-A-C-O-G-B-U-R-N.com. The Park Bench interviews were conducted by Lisa Holland and Andrew Litsky, that's me, who also edited this episode. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you on the Park Bench someday. Have a seat and tell us your thoughts. We'll tell the world.